I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. Kenny Tomlin is on the show today. He's an angel investor and serial entrepreneur with three successful exits under his belt. He founded Rockfish, a full-service digital innovation agency, in 2005 and eventually sold it to WPP, one of the world's largest advertising conglomerates. Kenny has been on all sides of the boardroom table and all sides of funding. In this episode, he shares how he decides which ideas to pursue and how he makes his investment decisions. We discuss the balance between analytical and intuitive decision-making and many other aspects of business. We tackle the most taboo topics on the Why Not Now show. Oftentimes, you're hearing guests share things they've never shared before. In the spirit of things we don't typically talk about, you should know that the Why Not Now show is supported by Poopery. Yep, the original before-you-go toilet spray. It's magic. My friends at Poopery have literally taken the smell out of you-know-what. This pure blend of essential oils stops bathroom odor before it begins. Visit Poopery.com and Why Not Now listeners get 20% off with code why not now? That's all one word. Also, you can now get poopery at Target. Kenny, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to talk to you, Amy. How are you? Likewise. I'm doing great, and I'm excited for this discussion and learn more about you. Let's kick it off in the spirit of why not now. Can you tell me about a time when you had a big decision to make and you asked yourself, why not now? And we'll dissect it. Yeah, so I feel like um, retrospectively, there's probably a number of times where I've asked myself that question, but the time that was probably most challenging um, and has also been most rewarding um, is the one that I'll share with you. So let's kind of rewind back to 2005. And at the time, I had spent four years working at the corporate office of Walmart in Northwest Arkansas. And the way I had ended up there, I'd been an entrepreneur before I had started a software company, later an e-commerce business that sold in 99. And there wasn't a lot of people at that time frame in sort of the center of the country that had e-commerce experience. Um, and so Walmart began to recruit me in early 2001 to join their business and um, uh, help them with their e-commerce business as a part of Walmart. And 
I had just exited a company a year before and finished my employment agreement with them and was considering what I wanted to do next and knew I'd want to be an entrepreneur again, but wasn't certain um, the exact idea and spent some time getting to know Walmart and thought, frankly, that this would be a good opportunity to take a break, to experience something new. And, um, and at the same time, my parents lived in Northwest Arkansas and I had two young daughters. So I thought it would be good to live close to family. And, uh, I would spend a couple of years at Walmart and kind of work on a business plan for what's next and then start another business. Most likely not in Northwest Arkansas. In fact, I figured I would move uh, to somewhere else in the country to start this next company. And so um, I joined Walmart in 2001. And about 90 days or so after being with Walmart, I uh, get a call from Kevin Turner, who was the CIO of the company at the time. And Kevin called me into his office and said, I know you just joined to help us with e-commerce, but we're wanting to launch financial services as a new business inside the organization. And Tom Showy, who was the CFO, has been for some time trying to get us to hire somebody who's both got a technology background and also has been an entrepreneur to help us do something entrepreneurial here and launch a new business. Um, and financial services was interesting to Walmart because about a fourth of the U.S. population is either unbanked or underbanked, and that's a big percentage of their customers. So they thought they could do something interesting that would save their customers money and drive more traffic into their stores. And so Kevin connects me with Tom Showy, who I meet, talk about the opportunity. And the next thing I know, I'm 28 years old and working inside the world's largest company, helping them launch, basically being an intrapreneur, helping them launch um, a new business, financial services. And at the same time, um, while I was at Walmart, I was always interested in uh, getting a master's degree. I considered and looked into getting an MBA, but ultimately decided to focus on and get a degree in theology, a master's degree in theology, and re realize that I could work full-time and go to school full-time and uh, also complete a master's degree. So what I thought was going to be a break from all the hustle and hard work of being an entrepreneur maybe ended up being more hard work. Plus two young kids, right? <laughs> Plus two young kids at the time. That's absolutely right. And this was a pretty intense master's degree. This was 120 credit hours. Um, I had to do a third of it on campus, which was in Kentucky. A third of it I did online and one third of it I did at an extension center about 40 minutes from where I lived. And so it was a pretty intense degree. Enjoyed it. Um, it was a great experience, but it was a lot of work. And so four years later, I'm with Walmart still. It's 2005. And I finished my master's degree in May of 2005. And I start to feel that you know call again and that desire to be an entrepreneur. And at the time, I had some basic ideas about what I would want to do and started to put together some th thinking around it. Um, but it was a difficult decision to make because, first off, my job at Walmart was actually quite enjoyable and challenging. I tell people sometimes, especially closer after the time I left, people would ask me, what's it like leaving Walmart and starting a company? And I'd say the first thing you'll realize is that people don't return your call anymore. And uh, when you're at Walmart and you're starting an, an opportunity um, and you you know, are reaching out to companies, you get callbacks immediately. Walmart's scale, their size, their influence, their experience, mm -hmm. et cetera, is quite impressive. Um, and I had a great, great career experience there. I had a lot of good people who I worked with. I worked with the highest level of executives in the company. So from a career standpoint, there was a great um, trajectory. Uh, I also had, you know, daughters who at this time were seven and 11 years old. And they were very active in school and they liked their schools and they had good friends. So there was no longer this idea that I was going to leave Northwest Arkansas to start a company. And at that time in particular, Northwest Arkansas wasn't sort of a hotbed to start businesses. Um, so there was that challenge, of course. 
And then I had been out of the game for four years. Um, I had, you know, been focused on theology and on financial services. And now I'm thinking about launching a technology business. And so that voice of doubt was certainly very loud. And so it was a very challenging and difficult, you know, decision at that time to make. And, but, uh, but just really felt the, the, uh, the call to do it again. I enjoyed being an entrepreneur, you know, in, in prior to joining Walmart and always knew that I would start and build another company. And I think probably the version of the question that I asked myself in 2005 is if, you know, it, it may be a version of why not now is if not now, when, mm-hmm. right? So there were, there were a lot of these reasons not to do it at that point in time, but those reasons were going to be true and probably even more entrenched another three to four years from that point, right? My daughters would be more active and more involved and the role at Walmart would probably be pay more money and um, be more responsibility, et cetera. And so... Ultimately, I just recognized that um, that this was the time and that even though there were challenges that I should do it, I took the leap. I turned to my resignation. Um, I gave Walmart a 30-day notice. And even during that 30 days, um, an opportunity was presented to me at Walmart to stay at the company but to join a different department, have a new challenge. And it was more technology-driven. And, um, and you know, a lot of changes were happening in digital and social media in 2005, and they were looking for someone to help lead that for them. And, uh, so there was an opportunity to stay. So you had another one of those come to Jesus moments to really sort of ask yourself the question, is this the right decision to leave at this time? But ultimately continue with the path forward of starting Rockfish. Um, and as soon as I really did that, as soon as I left Walmart, even though it was kind of scary leaving, a lot of things really started to align and come together. Uh, Rockfish took off and grew incredibly fast. Walmart actually became one of our most important clients, which I wasn't certain would happen because they have very strict policies about leaving the company and then being a vendor back into them. But the services I was providing them through Rockfish were completely different than what I provided as an employee. So I had to go through an ethics review and that all worked out fine. So I was able to serve and support Walmart from the outside. And frankly, it was probably more valuable to them through Rockfish and running that company than I would have been if I would have stayed. So in retrospect, it turned out to be incredibly meaningful and fulfilling. But at that moment, it was quite <laughs> quite a scary and quite a uh, challenging decision to make. I can imagine. And that, that setup that you had at Walmart and the opportunity in front of you uh, for potential growth, but also you were seeing it evolve quickly. And you mentioned the voice of doubt, but you did overcome it. What was so attractive about starting your company, Rockfish? And for listeners, Rockfish is a digital marketing agency that Kenny went on to eventually sell and exit. And um, it was a very successful exit. And um, but, but when you were back in that time frame, what was it that drew you so strongly towards starting your own company? Right. You know, I think... Being an entrepreneur is incredibly addictive. I sometimes compare it to what a professional athlete might feel like. Um, I mean, it is definitely the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. There's nothing more fulfilling and meaningful than building a company and building a team and delivering great products or services and being recognized for the work that you're doing. Um, And there's certainly the financial benefits of, of building a successful company as well. And I just think, you know, I always tell people it's the, it's the, if you can't be a professional athlete, it's the next best alternative alternative. And the good news is you get better with age, you know, many <laughs> athletes, there's sort of a shelf life on how long you can play. And you've seen experiences of, 
you know, quarterbacks, for example, who probably push their limit two to three years too long and don't end that strong mm-hmm. um, because it's incredibly difficult to walk away from that, comp- that, that competitiveness and the adrenaline rush that comes from, you know, playing that sport. And I think being an entrepreneur is similar. And I had had that experience that I had, you know, felt those highs and then, of course, those lows. And and I have had felt sort of the the success of selling a company and and the pride in building a team. And there's just something very compelling about doing that, that for me personally and how I'm wired um, was just impossible to get away from. And so even though, you know, you have those doubts and, and even today, you know, I would, I would have questions and doubts about, is this the right idea? Am I the right person to do it? You know, but ultimately just the, the draw and the desire to have that experience again is something that's really, really hard to resist. And just knowing you and some of the things that you've started, uh, and then also let's talk about the investor side as well, because you also invest, um, your ideas have really been pretty diverse at times, right? So uh, just some of the different companies, uh, tech is a through line, that's for sure. But you come up with ideas all the time. So how do you decide when to give it a go and when something just sounds good, but you're not going to pursue it? Yeah. So, you know, with Rockfish, it was just, it was, it, it was a transition in life. This is the moment where, you know, that other than, you know, once I'd finished my master's degree, um, I was just at a stage professionally where I was ready to make a change along the way. Since Rockfish, I founded some other companies, none of which I've run as the operating CEO, but where I'm a co-founder and, and a partner in, um, those ideas were, more solving challenges or opportunities either that I had at Rockfish or that I saw happening in the market where I wanted kind of a seat at the table to understand how the industry was going to evolve. And, you know, in those examples, I had co-founders who I partnered with to launch these companies who were going to be the operating execs who were going to run them on a daily basis. So those decisions were more financial, Mm -hmm. you know, for me than they were operational. So not as challenging of a decision. Um, but I think for me, probably, you know, to be more specific, it just comes down to, is it, is it an idea that I'm personally interested and motivated by? Is it in an industry where I see a lot of disruption and change happening? And even if this business isn't itself an overwhelming success, I think I'm going to learn something from it, or this is going to pivot into something that we don't, can't see now, but will probably be apparent as the company and as the industry evolves and develops. And is it a team of people that I think are qualified and capable of succeeding that I want to, you know, partner with and be a part of? Um, and if those things are true, then I think that's kind of the weighing factors of why I would move forward. And with Rockfish, there was a major wave that you you were ahead of the curve. Right? Not only e-commerce, but then digital marketing and the disruption. It's just you're spot on with your timing. Um, as far as your decision making, Kenny, and just in general in life, and knowing you um, fairly well, I I know you're you're pretty analytical, but you also have an awesome you know, radar and intuition because you've been able to exit three companies now or have them acquired, and you're just now forty five. Um, the first of which was what you were twenty six years old, if I'm doing the math right. <laughs> That's um, I was actually tw- I think I was 28 when the okay. when, um, yeah I sold the the first I actually sold the first two companies at around the same time and I was well actually it's 27 because I was 28 when I joined Walmart and I had a year agreement so 27. So you just have a knack. Would you say 
you tend to skew more on the analytical side or more you trust your gut. I'm sure there's a, a combo in there, but can you give us any insight on when you're making decisions, really any decisions? It, for me, it's way more intuition than analytics, analytical. Um, I, I just have an instinct and an intuition sometimes. I think, you know, my superpower in building a company, if I have one, is not that I have the best idea before other people. It's not that I um, am so analytical that I've figured out an industry and understand what the opportunity is and, and, and I'm there early. I think it's that, you know, I have a, I have a good intuition for once I have an idea of building a really good team around it and finding and identifying people to join me and help me um, in, in taking that idea and building it into an amazing business. And so for me, it's less, at least the way I, I sort of think about your question and look back at my experiences, I feel like most of my strength is around intuition for hiring the right people, um, working hard on probably the right idea at a good time. Um, I've certainly been fortunate in that respect. In life, I'm a, little, a bit more analytical, but in business, it's a, hot, a lot more gut and intuition. Interesting. That's really interesting. And so when... Obviously, anytime any entrepreneur is going to face challenges and, and difficulties, do you take into account, like if we're to, to talk about your intuition for a minute, would you say when you start feeling resistance, how do you determine whether or not it's just not supposed to happen, it's not right, or it's just one of those times you have to push through? Yeah. Well, if, if you... If- Anyone who's thinking about being an entrepreneur than hasn't, resistance is certainly, um, I mean, being able to push through resistance and work hard. And I mean, I think the number, like the, if you listen to, there's a podcast that you probably listen to that I really like as well called How I Built This, mm-hmm. where they interview founders and talk about their stories. And overwhelmingly, every single story has numerous moments of resistance and overwhelming odds. And I think the single determining factor in many cases that separates those companies that have succeeded from those that didn't was that the founder was determined. That expression that I was determined. And ultimately, I think, um, I think that's you know, that drive and determination to, not, to just not accept failure um, and to keep pushing forward. Oftentimes, you know, success can be just right around the corner from a point in time when it would have been so easy to quit and walk away. And so, yeah, I mean, I think being determined, be staying focused, having a real strong desire and belief in what you're doing, um, having people who are on your team who, you know, you can count on, rely on, who are partners with you. Those types of things are really, really important when you're building a company because there will be numerous moments of resistance and discouragement and, and literally, I mean, in a single day, you can have the highest elation and the lowest <laughs> lows. You can have a call in the morning where you feel like you're on top of the world and this business is going to be the most amazing company in the world and, and, and this thing is going to exceed everyone's expectations. And by the afternoon, you have a meeting or a call where you wonder if you can make payroll at the end of two weeks, right? And mm-hmm. so it is certainly uh, an emotional roller coaster. But uh, just staying determined and staying focused is what separates many times success from failure. And and so with when the, when you think about your intuition, um, let's say you know you had an idea or you're thinking about doing something. Do you take into account if that that same idea keeps popping up, or are there any qualities about your intuition that we might glean? <laughs> any characteristics? Do you get goosebumps? Do you? I don't know. <laughs> 
You're, you're getting, you're making me be really introspective here. <laughs> I know. It is. It's, it's sort of like that experience, you know, when you buy a car and then you start seeing that same car all over the mm-hmm. place. It's, you know, it's not that all those people bought the same car you did just because you would, you know, you have it. It's just, you never really trained to recognize it until you owned it. And it's, it's that kind of, I, I definitely think when you start feeling an idea and you start understanding a space and, and I mean, part of it's self-fulfilling prophecy because you start doing the research, mm-hmm. you start looking for that, you start noticing that car, right? Because now it's a part of your mindset and you're thinking about it. So there's definitely a sense of validation that occurs um, when you start leaning into an idea that you get excited about um, that tends to, you know, do one of two things. I mean, sometimes... Sometimes I get, you know, I'll start looking at an idea or an industry or something that, that I think could be interesting. And I, and, and, you know, I just hadn't been looking for it. And I find that the space is already quite competitive. And there are a number of companies that are already doing what you'd planned to do. And, um, and so not that you can't be successful, but, you know, it's not as innovative and not as original as you had assumed it was. And, and in that case, sometimes I'll just sort of step away from it and realize that's not the right idea, not at this time. Um, other times though, you, you start thinking about it and you're researching and there's certainly content and data points and things that are, that are validating your assumptions, but you're, you're, you know, you're seeing such an open opportunity in the market that you can't help, but want to be involved and want to move forward. I do think intuition is complemented and confirmed with data and analytics. So back to your original question, right? As I think out loud about this topic, um, you know, and I also think, you know, the interesting thing about intuition is it, it's developed through kind of, a, I think, through a sense of curiosity, you know, asking yourself the why question regularly, why things work the way they do. I think it's through education, through a lot of different industries and topics. Um, you can't just stay focused on a specific industry or the place where you find yourself professionally committed, but I think you need to read biographies of different times. I think you need to learn about industries that are unrelated to the industry you're working with. Um, and those, so I think it's a, do, I think it is a developed habit and skill. It's not something that necessarily you're born with, but I have learned over the years, especially since I've had a chance to work with and, um, and do a lot of interviews that, um, some people are naturally inclined to be curious, to be well, you know, to educate themselves, to ask good questions and what I call see around the corner. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that when I'm interviewing someone for a company, I try, you know, you're just trying to understand from the stories of their previous experiences and how they think about your business. Can they see around the corner? Um, are they the type of people who have their own intuition and understand where things are heading from an industry standpoint or where the product needs to go or where the company needs to head? And so that they're at, you know, so that they're there, they're there before you can see it. They're driving us in that direction before you can actually clearly see it. And that's something that's a strong part of intuition that I think separates an incredible team member and employee from just an okay person. And so you, you've been on all sides of the fence here from obviously an entrepreneur, founder, CEO. Uh, you've raised money for your companies. You've invested in others. When you're approached by an entrepreneur for investment and living in Austin, Texas, hotbed for tech and innovation, you're right in the thick of it. So how do you evaluate entrepreneurs and or their companies for possible investment? What do you look for? What's the process like? How do you even decide if you're going to take a call or a, me- a meeting? 
Yeah. So I, uh, so I'm not a, I'm not a super angel. I'm not a proactive angel investor. I'm not spending, you know, a certain amount of time every week looking for investments to make. I'm more opportunistic. Um, and so I like to invest in companies that are, um, being started by founders or people who I have previous experiences or know, or I co-invest with people who are also angel investors who do know those, 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 the company, right? So one of the things that I look for is some kind of association and trust. I do meet with, I always meet with the founders. I certainly, if I invest, want to be a resource as, you know, as a mentor or use my network to help them succeed. And so I do ask, you know, I do try to say, is it, what's this team's right to win? You know, what is their inspiration for the idea? Like I like investor, I like to invest in companies where the founders have an original idea that they're motivated to meet based on some personal drive or ambition. Like I find that some companies are really almost just spinoffs of the place where they presently work, and they're sort of going to draft on their prior. They're going to draft a bit on the success of the company they're leaving. Mm-hmm. You know, the networks, the vendors, the suppliers. They're going to take some key employees. I actually don't like to invest in those types of companies because I feel like they're they're not they don't have the right inspiration and motivation. And when the going gets tough, they won't stay determined. Um, I like to find those people who have those ideas that they're individually driven and motivated by where they, you know, they had a personal experience that led to an insight, um, an educational experience or whatever the case might be. So when I find, I mean, when you're, when you're investing in an early stage company, which is where I invest, you're, you're truly are investing in the team. So, so the team you know, they, they have, they have an inspiration for the business. You have to sort of ascertain if they have a drive to succeed. Um, and what's their right to win. Uh, and so, and I do pay attention to the market and try to understand the idea and see if I'm excited about it or not. Um, but a lot of times because I'm investing in people who I know, or I'm investing alongside people who are co-investing with me that I know the amount of due diligence that I do isn't incredibly thorough. Um, but I've had, pretty decent track record of angel investing. I've mostly invested in companies around Austin or the Midwest. Um, so, you know, this is a market that entrepreneurial scene is, is growing and getting tremendously better. The quality of company and the quality of entrepreneur, even since I moved here six years ago, has gotten stronger and better every single year. Um, and uh, I mean, it's in great companies here and it's, I'm excited to see that ecosystem grow and living here and being a serial entrepreneur. I like to invest because I like to be useful to other entrepreneurs. And, and that's why I try to pick those that are led by companies with founders who I previously know or co-investing with other investors who I'm friends with. So we can kind of help the company together. It sounds like that trust factor in that previous relationship, either with the entrepreneur or the co-investors is really important though to you for sure. And the if, if you were to say, <laughs> are you more concerned about the founder and their qualities and or I'm sure it's both, but do you lean more toward really needing to rely on that founder and their the entrepreneur's qualities or the idea and the business? It is a balance, but I certainly lean on the former rather than, more than the latter because it is so early stage. Many businesses that I've invested in have pivoted. Mm-hmm. And they're great companies today, but the idea changed. Um, and so literally it was the resilience of the team and the determination of the team to, you know, that's why they're still in business today. And now they're quite, you know, they're doing quite well. And so I definitely lean much more towards the entrepreneur than I do the idea at the level and stage that I'm investing. Interesting. I had someone, I I might've even been you, but I don't think it was someone, an investor say to me, um, they look for, 
they consider kind of like the wave to be the um, the the market and some sort of big you know, change and shift, paradigm shift. Um, the, the surfboard is the, the business and the surfer is the entrepreneur. And they just kind of had this analogy and, and talked so strongly about how important it was to have the right surfer. Because even if you have the best wave or if you have the best board, if you can't ride it, then... Um, right. So you're so good at spotting trends and, and seeing around the corner. How do you get your news? How do you stay up with what's happening? Um, I think it's a combination of, I mean, we live in a time where that's easier than it's ever been. So we're incredibly fortunate as entrepreneurs to live in a, in a moment in time where access to information and education is stronger than it's ever been. I mean, there's, there's literally no excuse in today's world to, um, to not you know, if you have a passion or an idea to not be able to develop an education around it. So, you know, I listen to podcasts um, while I'm exercising, which is maybe not the most inspirational thing to do while you're working out, but that's time that I have. And I like to listen to some podcasts. I certainly spend time online, reading blogs, reading news sources. Um, I read books. I love, you know, I think my favorite genre book is biographies. I learn a lot from, you know, the past and reading biographies of people. And I find that very interesting. It's also a bit meditative, and um, sometimes I think you have some of your most in- interesting or original ideas while you're thinking about or reading about or learning about something in a different industry or category. So I don't do anything unique or special that I don't think most people do, but I don't, you know, I don't watch a ton of television, not because I'm opposed to it, but I just don't have a lot of time for it. I find other things a little bit more interesting to do in terms of time, and so it's, you know, I'm lucky. I think, you know, thinking of that question you asked earlier about why. You know, I became an started Rockfish and sort of the passion I had for being an entrepreneur again. I find what I do. Um, people ask me what my hobbies are. My hobbies are my in a way are my profession, mm-hmm. and I and I don't love that expression where people say you know do what you love. I think people should do what they're good at, um, and sometimes those things are different, right? But if you do what you're good at, it develops the resources and the opportunities to spend time also doing what you love. I'm just lucky that. I'm, I'm good at being an entrepreneur and building companies, and I also love to do it. Um, it wasn't something that I imagined myself doing as a kid. It's something that I kind of, you know, looking back, I think I was always entrepreneurial as a kid. Um, and I think as an adult, being an entrepreneur came naturally. But when I grew up, went to school, no one was talking about being an entrepreneur like it is today. And, um, and so for me, I think I just enjoy spending my time thinking about businesses and researching and thinking about ideas and mentoring companies. And, and I'm fortunate that I'm able to do both what I love and what I'm good at. And they're the same. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it's good to hear too, that you weren't one of those young kids who were out creating companies when you were seven, you know, it's not every entrepreneur starts that way. And I know that for sure too. I had no clue I would uh, head down this path, but uh, what's one lesson you've had to learn more than once? A lesson that I've had to learn um, more than once is um, certainly I've learned lessons in hiring. Um, and, and advice I give people today is you almost never overpay for the right person. Um, there have been times because I felt like, oh, we just, we can't afford that person or uh, we can't, you know, that's disproportionate to other people on the team. And so anytime I've hired the number two person because they were more affordable, I've regretted it and ultimately went back around and tried to hire a person like the first one. <laughs> and t- typically, that person that's way more qualified, they're probably only 30% more expensive. 
but their output and return is 3x that. Um, so a lesson that I've learned the hard way a couple times is, you know, you, you just never overpay for the right person when you know that person is right. Mm, that's a good one. It's really good. Yeah. I think definitely gut instinct, like people, I think this, the, this sort of second sense that we have about stuff and the gut instinct and intuition that we, there have been times in the past when I haven't trusted that for whatever reason. Um, and it's always turned out to be a bad decision. So I think all of us sort of are wired in a way that maybe we don't understand, but there are times when we just have that intuition and instinct about something or a decision. And my experience has been always trust that. Mm-hmm. Those are a couple of things that come top of mind. Mm, nice in theme too with what you were talking about earlier. So a couple of rapid fire questions and then I'll let you off the hook. Um, what are you reading right now or an all time favorite biography? Uh, so my, I'm reading right now Ulysses S. Grant's biography, and I can't recall the author's name top of mind, but if you Google it, it's it's the more popular Ulysses S. Grant. I think it's fairly re- relatively new, too. It's long, but it's incredibly interesting. My favorite all-time biography, first off, read anything Walter Isaacson, Isaacson yes. writes. He's most popular for his one on Steve Jobs, but the Benjamin Franklin biography is um, is probably my all-time favorite. Although it's closely followed by the Alexander Hamilton biography, the one that actually inspired the Hamilton Broadway show. I would love if I could go back in time and have lunch with two people, Alexander Hamilton and Ben Franklin would be two guys. It would be a fascinating lunch, no doubt. Mm, I love that. Yes, Walter Isaacson, for sure. I, I'm hoping to get him on the podcast one of these days. Those are good. I'm actually the, – the Hamilton one I hadn't – I hadn't thought of the, and, and those are long books usually too. So you're, you're, those are commitments, but, <laughs> um, but if you say they're good, that's good. That's good. Um, what keeps you up at night? You know what? I'm fortunate right now. Um, you know, nothing is keeping me up right now. I, I, you'd mentioned earlier in the podcast that I ended up, um, so rockfish grew incredibly fast. I had the uh, amazing opportunity to sell the business to WPP exited that uh, I left WPP at the end of last year. So this is the first time in my professional life when I haven't had a full-time career and responsibility that I had to, you know, get up every day and focus on. Um, and so right now I have two companies in Austin that I co-founded, but don't run. Both companies have fantastic operating execs and teams. Um, but I do, you know, try to help those businesses out. I'm spending some time incubating a few ideas that, um, I'm that I'm interesting in and in, in, in a space that I think is going to be relevant, you know, and I, someone said the other day, I was having a conversation and, um, about, cause at my stage in life, people start talking about midlife crisis and I kind of see myself right now as a midlife opportunity, um, not a crisis. And so I'm just taking some time to be thoughtful about whether I want to be a CEO and build a company again. I mean, I have that, you know, as I described earlier, it's pretty addictive. But I also am able to scratch that itch by co-investing and being a, uh, a non-operating partner in a single company, but spreading my time across you know multiple businesses um, in different industries, and I find that satisfying. And so you know, but at the same time, I'm, there are other things in my life that I haven't been able to focus on as much in the past. I really enjoy doing creative writing and writing and things like poetry and. I've always wanted to get good at playing the guitar and the, and the piano, and I'm a hack at both and not good at either. Um, so there's a part of me, too, that thinks maybe I should spend at least a third of my time focused on creative activities. But, um, but I'm really fortunate right now, Amy, that 
nothing is keeping me up at night. I'm incredibly fortunate and lucky. I live in a great town, have great friends and people in my life, and I'm enjoying this. I'm busy, but certainly feels like a break from running a company full time and taking some moments to kind of reflect on what next might be and and have the luxury of a bit of time to do that. So at the moment, for the first time in, probably in forever in my life, nothing specific is no specific business problem or challenge is keeping me up and I can't, I've not been able to say that for most of my life. So that's a nice thing to be able to say at this moment. Yeah. Well, you've earned it. And, um, and speaking of you earned it, we have to talk about it briefly because I know I'm a big fan and have used the product or the software. Um, real quick, tell everybody about you earned it. This is one of the companies that Kenny co-founded. Yeah. So you earned it as an example of kind of meeting my own needs. So Rockfish was growing, um, incredibly fast. We were opening offices in different cities and something that I recognized really early with Rockfish that was a part of the business from really day one was that small acts of recognition was incredibly meaningful to individuals. So, you know, because the company was growing fast and was highly profitable, we always had annual bonuses and profit sharing and, and things that were meaningful financially. But it was that relevant real-time recognition of people that really did a lot to endear them to the organization and let them know that they were appreciated and that they that they were valuable to the company. And so as we began to grow across multiple geographies and as we opened more offices, it wasn't something that could just be a top-down led initiative and I wanted to democratize recognition. I wanted to empower everybody in the company to you know provide a meaningful way to recognize um, their coworkers, their managers, their employees, not just within their own department, but literally across the company. And so at that time, I kind of looked to see who was already doing something like that. And there were definitely some companies in the recognition space, but they were more focused on their business model was high margins on um, meaningless rewards, frankly. Um, and no one was really do had a really strong sort of software service model that provided a lot of flexibility on how you rewarded your people. And so because we built a lot of enterprise software at Rockfish, we built our own product and um, used it for a year with a lot of success, was sharing the story with other entrepreneurs who asked to use it. So spun that out of Rockfish, um, reached out to a good friend of mine who I had worked with professionally, never as a part of Rockfish, but um, we shared Walmart as a client. And her background was much more in HR and human capital management and people development and knew she would be perfect for this business and kind of shared with her the vision and, uh, and she came on board and helped turn this into a real company. And so today you earned it as a business that really does transform companies, cultures, it, you know, it increases retention. It certainly improves engagement. It does this by, um, recognizing their performance and contribution real time, um, giving them a, 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 a platform to, to provide their feedback and to get a response to their feedback real time, um, reinforces behaviors that are meaningful, important, charitable giving, wellness, health uh, initiatives and things such as that. And um, so it's a great business. It's uh, here in Austin. It's, it's growing at a nice pace and it's really exciting to watch that company develop and see how many companies, there's over 400, I think there's close to 450 companies now on it, hundreds of thousands of employees that use it. And it's funny as I, you know, Anytime I meet someone who is a part of a company that uses you earned it, that's all they want to that's all they want to talk to me about <laughs> is how much they enjoy enjoy you earned it. So it's I'm real proud of that company, but I can't take a ton of credit for it because um, I've never had an operating role, but um, have enjoyed supporting my co-founder and CEO in the business, and um, and it's fun fun company. 
Absolutely. And it, it is, it works too. And I, I loved it. The ability to get creative with these rewards is so cool. Like it could be, you know, someone could be recognized and rewarded and you can redeem for a lunch with the CEO, a certain parking place, a monetary gift, you know, obviously they're items. It's just, it's, it's super cool. Um, okay. So final question, what advice would you give to your younger self? You know, um, don't be so stressed and so, so tightly wound. I, I used to see life, I think when I was in my twenties, as sort of a zero sum game. You know, if, for, if, if you win, I lose or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I, and I've just, and I've discovered the longer I've been in business and the more people I've met and, and companies who are even competitors being able to share notes with the founders, et cetera, like. We live in the most incredible time in human history. The economy globally is expanding like it never has. The reach and ability to connect with people is second to none. Innovation is developing and happening so incredibly fast. What's you know the opportunity to start and build amazing companies is better than it's ever been and will continue to improve. Um, and, and it's just not a zero-sum game. And being useful and cooperative and collaborative um, and, and not being so just sort of stressed and worked up about every single detail. Frankly, it just, it just kind of, it, it, it's not to make an excuse and say, I don't have to work hard or I don't have to be competitive and I don't have to, you know, build a better product or try harder than the competition. You do. Those things are all true. Um, but I think in my twenties, I was so wound up and so stressed all the time. Um, and frankly, that's unhealthy and unnecessary. And so making sure that you set aside time for personal growth, for physical health, you know, there's no, there's no, no reason that you can't get as much done in a 40 hour week as you can, as most people do in a 60 to 70, if you just prioritize and organize your time and schedule correctly. So I think if I was counseling my 20 year old self, who was close to becoming a first time entrepreneur, I would just say, just relax a little bit more, be a little more friendly um, and, and, uh, and just be a little more generous, generous and gracious along the way probably be the advice I'd give my younger self. You know, it's interesting because you know, all the people that I interview and and most of which are wildly successful like yourself, um, this version of your answer or a version of, of your answer is usually, um, I would say it is probably the most common of just ease up a bit. And that's what the, you know, people would tell their younger selves. So for all of us listening, it's never too late, I guess, to take that advice because it is common. And if you look at the data of all these interviews that I've done, and then you look at the capacity of the, of the people, it's, it's really good advice. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time. This has been awesome. Well, I've enjoyed talking with you. I hope it was helpful and appreciate the opportunity, Amy. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the show. Hit me up on social media to let me know what you think. I'm at Amy Jo Martin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I want to hear your why not now moments so I can share them on the show. Just send me a note to why not now at amyjomartin.com. For show notes and other offers, you can visit amyjomartin.com forward slash why not now. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter for exclusive content and announcements. 
A big thanks to Rock Salt Music for all of the tunes by the talented John Coggins. And of course, a hat tip to Richard Gruer for editing and producing the show. I'll see you next time. And until then, why not now? <laughs>